Welcome, everybody. We are the Innocence Project at UVA School of Law. We have to say that whole name every time we say it. Um, as you all probably know, because um, because you wrote all your applications about how you wanted to be in the Innocence Project Clinic, and we have all of those, and we're going to have binding contracts with all. <laughs> no. um, so we have two different clinics that we want to talk to you about um, because. It, we can sort of meet everyone's needs depending on what they want to do when they're in the clinic or when they're in the volunteer pro bono project, which is what Katie Clifford is the president of. Um, the clinic itself has 12 students for a year-long uh, project. This year we have, well wait, I'm going to back up. So there's the Innocence Project in New York, which was sort of the mother of all Innocence Projects. And that was you know, started by Barry Sheck, Peter Neufeld. Um, they um, then spurred all of these many, many, many other projects that have begun. Um, now, not just in the United States, but all around the globe. Um, and they do only DNA cases. So what they're always doing is searching for DNA, testing the DNA, and exonerating what I'm told is 45 to 47 percent of the people who request the testing. A lot, a lot of success. We do not do only DNA. We do all different cases, which is far better for the clinic because you're not just looking for physical evidence. So we have all the sort of many types of cases that you can have when you're looking into wrongful convictions generally. So for instance, we right now have a, a shaken baby case, um, a woman who was accused of shaking a baby into um, in a very serious medical condition. Didn't die, but a serious medical condition. We maintain and always have that she did not shake the baby. Um, we have cases where there's only informant testimony, right? Jailhouse informants coming forward and saying that a person confessed to a crime that they didn't confess to, in our opinion. Um, we do have DNA cases. We have cases where eyewitnesses are mistaken. We have cases where um, a juvenile was accused of forcible rape of a girl, a friend of his, and she later recanted. So all manner of cases. The clinic itself has 12 clinic students for a year, um, which gives you an opportunity to really, really invest in your case. Um, and because we have the pro bono clinic as well, um, many students who take the clinic are admitted to the clinic in their second year can then stay on and work on their case in the third year through the volunteer project if they choose to. Um, so you can take the clinic as a second or a third year. There's no prerequisites. You don't have to have taken evidence or professional responsibility, although those, those courses would help you a lot. Um, we ask people to put in 12 to 15 hours a minimum as a minimum for working in the clinic. Um, people work many more hours than that, like Katie Clifford. Um, many people stay invested, you know, through their entire time here. Um, now, the separate second clinic, and, and I'm going to stop soon and let you guys ask questions. Um, the volunteer pro bono clinic is a separate, it started as a student group, student run group, um, and now has morphed into a pro bono clinic. Anybody can join that. They have their own separate set of cases. So there's eight in the active cases now in the clinic, and there's eight active cases in the volunteer group. They have their own space. They have a president, Katie Clifford. They have a managing board. And many of the 2Ls from the clinic 
become the directors um, of these cases, the student directors. So although we supervise and we're there and we work with those groups, they have their own set of things and they have a student who's done these cases, who's worked on the cases before. We also, thanks to John Grisham and Renee Grisham and Sonia Smith, have private donated money so that people who are in that clinic can hire, we hire private investigators to work with them on their cases. So you're not limited to investigating by when I'm available. You can go with other people as well. Um, Katie, what am I missing on the pro bono clinic? Um, a lot of the pro bono cases are in the earlier stages of investigation. Um, so there are cases that we're just, net, we're just vetting. We'll get like, a letter from an inmate, send a questionnaire back, and decide what cases to take. So often the pro bono cases, which mostly 1Ls work on, led by 2 and 3Ls, are in the earlier stages, whereas the cases in the clinic for credit are going to be more along, you're going to be filing things. Um, drafting, drafting pleadings, motions. Um, we're mo sometimes we're filing motions to test evidence. Sometimes we're filing uh, a motion to reconsider if a court has denied. We do state habeas, federal habeas. Um, writs of actual innocence, and we have a clemency petition we're working on right now to ask the governor to exonerate someone whose time in court is now over. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Um, we've had people who stayed in the volunteer project for three years, n not ever in the clinic, but put in certainly as amount, the same amount of time as anybody who was in the clinic. Um, I'm told that when you have this on your, um, on your resume, it's all that anybody will ever want to talk to you about when you go for your interviews. And that, you know, that's not a small thing to be able to say, that's what I've done. Um, law firms, of course, love it because it means you've done things, <laughs> that you have practical experience. And we work with law firms a lot, too. We, we do. We do. Absolutely. Do you take any non-actual innocence cases? So now I have to make a pitch for my husband's office. He runs the Death Penalty Resource Center in Virginia, and it's actually over on Ivy Road. It's like two miles from here. Um, you can volunteer with them. Um, they do anybody who's on death row in Virginia, um, and they do, it doesn't, you don't have to be actually innocent now. That said, we got asked to work on a death penalty case of a guy who was on death row who we believe was actually innocent. Um, and he had ineffective assistance of counsel claims. He had massive prosecutorial misconduct claims. His convictions were all vacated after we worked with uh, King and Spaulding and had a four-day hearing in a federal uh, district court. And he, all of his convictions were vacated. And um, he is now back um, <laughs> indicted for far more serious crimes by a new special prosecutor. Um, and you're welcome to work on that case. We'll put you right in touch with them. But, um, <laughs> So a lot of times people apply to us and it takes a long time to read the letters to figure out what the inmate is saying. Sometimes they're saying, I, was, I had constitutional violations in my case. I had an ineffective lawyer. I had, um, there were prosecutorial misconduct issues, but I'm not actually innocent. Or I did do the robbery, didn't do the murder. We tend to stay away from those because the Innocence Project is supposed to be helping the people who are actually innocent. So, mm-hmm. Especially at the pro bono clinic level, when they're they're being led by two and three Ls with one Ls, there's so we have so many cases, and you're reading through so many that there's a lot of um, 
polling kind of of the group, like, do we think this is a case where the person was innocent? If we do think they're innocent, is there enough here to work with? Like, have they exhausted all their appeals? Have they already filed everything they can file? Will we be able to prove it? And often the decision to drop them is, I think, like, you're the, she, Deirdre's going to be the ultimate authority. But hmm. we've, uh, a lot of times at that stage, have been the ones to actually read the entire file. Um, so there's... I do. I have to say, though, um, even though I've been doing what I do for twenty-seven thousand years, um, it's been wonderful to be here for the last eight years, almost, because you get really jaded and bitter. And I tend to make these, um, like, a, a quick assessment of, well, that doesn't sound real to me. Or, and the students are the constant reminder to me of, let's check into that a little bit more. So we don't. It's. Closing cases is the hardest thing we do, and nobody ever wants to do it. And sometimes when somebody doesn't want to close the case, a student, I'll say, okay, keep go let's keep going. Um, because making the call to the person and saying, we're not going to do this, is awful, and you won't ever have to do that. Um, but it's not something we take lightly. So yeah, absolutely. Um, more questions? Oh, come on. So like students who are really invested like in the clinic or um, in the pro bono, do like do you find that your students mostly go on like to work in similar fields in public defense? Like what it kind of ends up the after law school being Right. So well so it's sort of all over the <laughs> place. Yeah, it's right? really all over the place. So we've had people that um, were in the clinic and like one year we had a student who was had a law firm job, she was gonna go do that, that was absolutely and by her third year she was saying not going to do it. Um, she went and she's a public defender. Um, we have people that, <laughs> Chris Leshevsky, wasn't he saying he was going to be a tax lawyer in mm -hmm. the beginning? And he's now at my husband's office defending death row inmates in Virginia. Um, we also, but a lot of people go to firms, but what, once they've had this experience, when they go to those firms, they can, the firms often want to take these cases, whatever state they're in. And so there's a network and we can always funnel the case, you know, like that student often will call me later and say, okay, who do I call about our firm getting involved with the Ohio Innocence Project, you know? So yeah, um, you, you get much more say, I think, at law firms if you can say, I've done this before. You know, I've worked on this before. Our current board has two people clerking right away, um, three of us going to law firms, and one person doing appellate public defense, and one person who wants to be a prosecutor after his clerkship. So it really is the whole spectrum. It's also um, sometimes in the beginning when I first started, people were saying that because of the B plus mean, that some people would be, um, you know, students that are uh, vying for law review or on law review are going to steer clear because of the B plus mean because it's harder to get an A in a clinic with a smaller class. Um, we had a year where we had four people on law review in the class, loved it. They were fine. One this year. Yeah, yeah. it has not been um, a a deterrent in any real way. Who's going to be on law review? Hands up. <laughs> um, the other thing too, I don't know how many law schools have an innocence project, but it's not a whole lot that have people. So there's in Virginia, there's a Mid-Atlantic Innocence Project up in DC, and they have you know uh, clinics at different schools, and then there's some a class at University of Richmond right now. Um, but there's not many law schools that have both a clinic and a volunteer project to accommodate all of the students. So it really is um, a huge plus and um, 
and if it's something you're interested in, you should think about it. It wasn't available. I went here too, and it wasn't nothing like this was available. Um, I would have been all over it. I mean, you know, I would have been on law review too. <laughs> I think we had about 75 one alls volunteer or start volunteering in the fall. There's always some drop off. I think right now, actively, probably have about 50 one alls who are involved in it. Mm -hmm. And there's there's travel too. Like so, people have you know some. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. But so one uh, student um, one year flew with a private investigator to Puerto Rico to spend the weekend with a rape victim in one of the cases. Had the time of her life. The it was probably the most open, um, friendly rape victim one could ever meet and talk to. She wanted them to spend the weekend with her. Um, and we go, you know, we're going to go to Alabama to talk to witnesses in a couple weeks. We're we one else on that trip. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. We sent a one L with um, an investigator uh, lawyer down to Asheville in the fall of her first year, mm -hmm. and she got to do a series of interviews and wrote the memos for those. So there's definitely yeah. places for one else to get involved if you're interested. It's a way to try it out and see if you want to take on the full year-long credit commitment. Yeah. Um, you said earlier that you know you would have done this or a law review. Is it? Is yeah. it something that was a lie. But go ahead. Is, what, is it something that you find that you you know students can't find the time to do both, or is it a choice? Or I think most of us who are on the Innocence Project board are pretty involved with other things as well. Um, I'm in another clinic, appellate clinic, and so I think ha most of our board is either in the public defense clinic or prosecution clinic. So there's, and our, we're all in journals, like there's a lot of, like it takes up a lot of time, but it's a matter of what you're gonna, I think, prioritize. It's, it's also really extraordinary to me the, um, the range of things that people can handle at one time. So people like Katie Clifford seem to be endlessly awake and working and other people not so much um, so it's really a know yourself sort of thing but um, but Chris Leshesky is another perfect example of somebody who did absolutely everything the law school had to offer as far as I could tell he was on and he was on law review and and he was doing people's taxes in his free time <laughs> it's like so I mean you know sure he he's amazing but anyhow but so are all of you so um, more questions. You had your hand up. Yeah, do you have prior experience in the area to be accepted into the clinic? Like, what kind of things do you need to get in? Um, well, so people tell us, there's people who, um, to get into the clinic, the 12-person clinic, we ask for a resume and um, a letter of interest, which is perhaps the most important thing. Is um, And there's, uh, when you said that, I, the first thing I thought of was a, a guy I used to work for who said, he used to ask people, oh, have you ever been a journalist? Have you ever been an investigator? Have you ever worked for a public defender? And he said, I realized at some point that I should no longer ask that question. What I should say is, are you a gossip? Are you curious? Um, because that's who I really need, is the people who just endlessly interested in finding things out. So no, not really. Um, it, it helps. Like we had a kid who was a journalist who um, he's very, very comfortable going and knocking on doors and talking to people. That, you know, that's helpful. Um, but then a lot of people are good at that. So uh, yeah, there's not any real. I went straight through from undergrad to law school and didn't really have um, any substantive experience. So I, I got involved as a 1L though. And I think being involved as a 1L gave me a leg up in applying to the clinic, certainly, because you've already worked on the type of cases um, we've worked on. So. But no prior experience before law school is necessary, I don't think. Mm -mm. When I, um, in between my college and law school, I worked at Skadden Arps as an, a paralegal and got put on, no, 
I begged my way onto a death penalty case that they took. And that was the very first case I ever worked on. I was from Washington, D.C. I had to spend two years in El Paso, Texas, where I was stuck out like a sore thumb. And he turned out to be the wrong guy. We got him off death row. Um, and uh, after law school, my husband and I moved to Jackson, Mississippi um, to defend death row inmates there. Uh, as students, how often did you get to see a case from start to um, I'm trying to think if I've seen, I've seen some end, but they were here before I started. I think in general, the DNA cases, um, we've had, there was one um, the spring before I started school where I think it came in, they got the testing, they got the results of the testing, and they got the exoneration within a period of months. Um, but since we don't just do DNA cases, that doesn't always happen that often. There was a case that we worked on that we got a confession for, mm -hmm. um, and the petition is going to be filed soon. So. I won't get to see the entire patient, like the results of it, because the courts can sit on these things for a while. Um, we had the um, juvenile case, the very first case, really, that our clinic took. And um, he was in a juvenile facility accused of forcible rape. Um, the victim recanted. Her mother came forward. Um, we pretty quickly were able to put together a package for the Department of Juvenile Justice, who released him. So he got to go home and that all happened, you know, I think we got that case in December and I think he went home in February. But it took six years to go through habeas and get him exonerated. Um, but you know, if you do really poorly and stay on, you know, you could see it through. <laughs> questions, questions. Yeah. You might hate this question because you've probably gotten it a thousand times, but What's the status of the ad? Uh, <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> what cereal? I'm sorry. What are you referring to? <laughs> um, so he has. I, anyone who knows about this, he has this appeal that was pending when all of that happened, and that is currently proceeding. And there's sort of a debate about whether or not we have to wait for that to end before something can happen. Um, I, I'm, I have nothing to do with that appeal, so I don't, I don't. Yeah. I, Has your opinion changed since you've been interviewed? No. No. I mean, and the thing about that case to me, and Katie, if you disagree, that's totally, um, it just has all the earmarks of a wrongful conviction, right? Um, it had, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of the Justin Wolf case in that the person who is clearly involved and caught then turns and lobs stuff on the person that, it, that is, an obvious choice, right? Justin Wolf was the inmate that was on death row that right. got exonerated that is now, or charges thrown out that is now currently awaiting trial. Right, right. And so, you know, it just seems to me that a person like Adnan, you know, why? Why would someone like Adnan, there's like that whole theory about, oh, you know, his dark hatred and honor that must be requited because his girlfriend broke up. I don't know. Like, that just doesn't sit well with me. And the lawyer, anybody who heard it, she was clearly in a bad place during that trial. And, um, and I thought the interviews that happened after Serial, the ones with the prosecutor and Jay Wilds being advised to admit perjury, like, who does that? I won't say that that case will, something like that will ever come into our project again, but that was a team that uh, me and another 2L led a bunch of 1Ls who started working on it. So. Um, that started as that a started pro, as a pro bono. bono case. It was um, Mary Opea and I, and then a bunch of the one Ls on Mario's team um, who started, who read all the documents and kind of dug into it uh, over spring break kind of time of our of their one L year, our two L year. Yeah. So.
that mean, was that's not going to come back through the clinic again. I don't <laughs> anticipate. Hmm. But. Please, God. <laughs> um, other questions? But if you want to be on a podcast, of course, we'll make that happen. 